So she just took a mission on herself and she said, I'm going to find this person. And she talked to someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone. And literally one day, my mother and father knocked on the door of a stranger's house. And they said, hi, we're, we're, uh, we're, we hear you have fiddles and we were wondering if we could see them. And he looked at them as if they were crazy. And then my mom said, we're Natalie McMaster's parents. And, you know, I suppose mom in her pride of being a mother thought this man would, would say, oh, wow, come on in. But he said, oh, I don't like fiddle music, (laughs) that hillbilly music. So he wasn't too impressed by that. Welcome to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Hi, I'm Joe McHugh. And anyone familiar with the fiddling tradition of Cape Breton Island in Canada knows the name Natalie McMaster. They will as likely know the name of her Ontario-born fiddling husband, Donnell Leahy. They are remarkable musicians. They are also the devoted parents of seven children and operate a successful cattle farm when they're not out on tour, delighting audiences around the world. In March of 2019, they came to the Pacific Northwest to perform at the Washington Center for the Performing Arts in Olympia, Washington. That's where I met up with them and recorded an interview in their dressing room just before their concert. Here is that interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Mom was a real lover of the music, as well as my dad. My dad played fiddle, um, but I I never heard him play very often, and I'm sure he'd laugh if I said he played the fiddle, because he doesn't feel like he ever played it, but he he could scratch a tune. He had an awesome ear for music, and has an awesome ear for music, and really it was him who I credit much of my learning to. Um, He really taught me to play the fiddle. But the environment was such that we heard fiddle tunes every day. My mom would play, like I said, the tape recorder or... Uh, a record on the record player, and every day there would be hours of fiddle music in the air. My mom was a step dancer, and she taught me to dance when I was five years old. I was singing Gaelic songs and courting on piano before I ever picked the fiddle up, uh, and step dancing as well, before I picked the fiddle up at age nine. And I received a fiddle from a grand uncle of mine in Boston. Uh, who sent me a three-quarter size fiddle. He actually sent it to my uncle's place, but because, uh, yeah, he he didn't send it to me specifically, but he said any one of the McMaster grandchildren who wanted this fiddle could have it. So it eventually came to us, and I said, yes, I want it. And um, I wanted to check it out, and it fit me perfectly. So I always ask Mom and Dad, how come you never thought to get me a fiddle before then? No one, I shouldn't say no one, there were very few young people playing the fiddle when I was young. I was born in 1972, and at that time, it was all, to me, what seemed like old people, but they were probably younger than I am now, playing the instrument, and also people in their, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, um, playing fiddle. So there were no kids, like 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 in there, you know. I know well that time. Yeah. yeah. And this is in the... Uh Late 70s, you're talking about yeah. early 80s? Yeah, so mom and dad never thought to get me a fiddle. It just never crossed their mind that a child would play. Um, that being said, I should give credit to 
uh, Neil Beaton, who played before me, and Stephanie Wills and Jackie Dunn, they were probably, I had heard of them, and they were maybe, you know, three and four years older than, than I was. But, um, yeah, so Mom said it just never crossed her mind. So when this instrument came and it was little and fit me, that's how I started. When we talked to Mark O'Connor, you know, that was a lot of his experience. He was this enormously gifted young man at the violin, but when, or at the fiddle, and when he would go to these festivals, uh, there were really very few people his age. In fact, they wouldn't let him compete at, uh, at Galax, the famous uh, fiddle contest that takes place in Virginia, because they'd heard he'd won all these contests. They right. literally showed him off the grounds. Mm. He was there with his mother and would not let him play because they were afraid he'd win. So, uh, you know, he has watched as now many young people are coming into the folk tradition. There's really a, a tremendous interest in revi- mm-hmm. revival. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you a question. Uh, being able to speak Gaelic or hearing Gaelic, uh, how do you think that influences the way you play the music? Is it really a good thing that you know that way of hearing sound? Well, I'm sure it would be helpful. I don't speak Gaelic. The Gaelic songs I sang were just phonetic, and I learned them in school. And those were the songs that I sang. Um, I guess I was trying to give you a sense that before I played fiddle, I played other things, or I did other musical things, like, like the dancing and a bit of singing and the piano. But Um, For me, I didn't grow up with Gaelic language, learning the language. Um, And my Gaelic songs that I had that was only in grade four, we had that. Uh, It never continued. They quit the Gaelic program after that. So I had it up to grade four. My mother grew up Gaelic speaker. My dad did not. Um, My uncle Buddy, who I'm sure you're familiar with, he played fiddle for 86 years and... uh, or maybe maybe a little less than that, but he he never grew up speaking Gaelic. That's my dad's brother, and he is considered the the top Cape Breton fiddler. You know, well I, there there are so many good ones, but certainly Buddy. If you ask anybody, right. uh, they would they would comment how Buddy was definitely one of the greats. So Alistair Fraser talked about yeah meeting him. I think in yeah. the airport or. or in some unusual way that he met him and yeah. when he first came there. So when I think of the Cape Breton fiddlers, I don't know any of them that did speak Gaelic. Now, there would be some, I'm sure. Of course there would be. But the ones that I listened to, Willie Kennedy, Buddy McMaster, um, Winston Scotty Fitzgerald, Jerry Holland, Arthur Muse, none of them spoke Gaelic. So Gaelic is not necessary for you to be able to play Cape Breton fiddle music. Uh, I do know this. The music came from the language very similarly in that my grandmother spoke Gaelic and to hear her jig what we call jigging that's when you sing the Gaelic words to hear her jigging the songs the tunes uh, that I was playing was really interesting and you could hear where the very dirty sounds in the throat like you know all that stuff that's in Gaelic we call it the dirt Um, that dirt was represented in the fiddle as well with you know not refined uh, bowing, but just real gritty sound. That's wonderful, because first time I've thought of it, and I don't know if this is a credible idea, but as a, as a group of people, I'm Irish, my background, as people are losing this language because of the changes and because of the British influence and so forth, English, I wonder if they were able to trans, uh, almost to save that music, save that language in the music. That it's a form of keeping that that language, Maybe, the yeah. heart of that language, alive. I've never, you know, thought mm-hmm. of it that. I mean, almost think of the monks, you know, preserving the manuscripts from 
you know, the Romans and the Greeks through the through what we call the Dark Ages, mm. uh, where this music is a vessel to keep this going. It, it is what it is, you know. Uh, I know I'm talking a lot there, Janelle. Or you can jump but, in too uh, if, you, if you have any thoughts yeah. on that too. It's a big, big yeah thought, and I think there's something to it. I don't know that I can I can uh, in this time fully engage it, but. You know, we play by ear. A lot of us play by ear, and so we we mimic. We I, I look. I'm I'm I married Natalie. She's from Cape Breton. I'm not. And when I analyze, when I've analyzed her music and their music, they hold the fiddle differently. They hold the bow differently. And I I think of the origins, and they do what I would call you would call a cut, with where you go uh uh uh. Where we didn't do cuts in my tradition, we did what I call ripples or trills. So we do it with the left hand. Capetters would do it with the right hand. And I'm thinking, why? Why? Where did that come from? Somebody heard it somewhere, and they said, "We gotta, we gotta, you know, I want to do that." And so one did it with the bow, I think, and one did it with the fingers. That may be wrong, but why don't why 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 is there no cuts in our in our music? You know, but now we all hear each other, so now there's cuts in our music and there's trills and ripples and vibrato and things, you know, because we're, we're, we're listening to, to, to everybody. Anyway, carry on. I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, I've always been fascinated by that, too. The, uh, the Scottish, I think, is a much more depends on the bow in terms of uh, doing these ornaments, what we call mm-hmm. ornaments. And, uh, and much of the Irish music is, again, the rolls. Yeah. And uh, it's a different sound altogether. And and if you move further north in Ireland, from down in Kerry and Clare, where you'll have all those wonderful rolls, and then you start to get up into Donegal, you start seeing people playing with those that that three, you know, the triplet done yeah. with the boat. <laughs> you know, the thing. Yeah. in fact, when I walked in, I think I heard you playing a version of a mm-hmm. Castlebar Tramp. I think you were maybe uh, you were or not. I thought I heard that, but yeah, that's got a. Agreed when you well. walked in tonight, I, today I sound checked Natalie's fiddle for her. She was out with the children, and so I do a little joke with the band when Janelle. when Nat, when Natalie when I take Natalie's fiddle, I I kind of play very differently. I sometimes you pretend I, like you're playing I, like me. I pretend I'm playing like Natalie, so I kind of. <laughs> but you try and make it funny. I do try to make it funny, so it's often out of tune and scratchy. And, <laughs> <laughs> but the boys get a laugh out of the it. Boys get so a laugh. that's it. I was trying to play something that I didn't actually know. But, uh, you was, might have went into a tune, uh, an actual tune yeah. that you would have heard in play. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. funny. That's funny. And you're putting a little something in there, a little bit of the mischievous, you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> a little the trickster in the yeah. in the Typical instrument. Typical Danelle. Ah, there you go. Well, I, I don't want to. We've. I, this is how my conversations go. We stay on a track for a little bit, then we run over here and come back. But like all good conversation, at least that's what I think. Yeah. So maybe a little bit more on this uh, progression of your. Like, I'd be real interested in what happened in terms of um, you had this three-quarter size fiddle, mm-hmm. and then as things happen, you keep growing. So mm-hmm. now you've got to get a full-size violin. Mm-hmm. Was that a memorable, that particular violin, how you got it or yeah. which, what it was? Can totally. you tell that story? Yeah. There was a couple that visited our house, and they were there for a few days. And uh, the gentleman had a fiddle that he, turns out he was interested in selling and dad bought it from him and it was a Roth and I was very excited it was my first full-size fiddle and uh, I was nine and a half when I got that three-quarter size fiddle it was probably a year later I went into the full-size fiddle 
so yeah, it was a very exciting time. It was, uh, I remember um, just like cleaning the fiddle. Imagine me, Danelle, cleaning my fiddle. I haven't cleaned my fiddle in years. But at the time, it was pretty thrilling. So I can remember cleaning it. And do you still have the Roth or do you have Dad the th- has it, yeah. And do you have the three quarters still? Yep. Yeah. And what are you playing now? I know we're jumping can, way ahead. Can I interject? Yeah. Um, Natalie's three quarter size fiddle, and I, I had a three quarter size fiddle as well. And we've loaned them to a, a museum in Calgary. They asked if, if, if they could uh, have our fiddles. So we sent them off to Calgary. Now they're displayed in a, um, in a, what's a, the, the museum, in, a musical museum in Calgary. Both our yeah, yeah. three quarter fiddles are side by side. Yeah. Playing together. Yeah, Mark O'Connor had his legendary white fiddle. Do yes. you know about the one painted yeah. enamel, paint yeah. white? And that was in the Country Hall of Fame for a long time, and then he took it back out. Okay. And uh, it sort of brought it back to life again and takes it to his, his fiddle camps. Cool. Uh, so That's these, great. So these instruments may come back to you at some point, but you're yeah. lending them sure. now. Sure, Well, I, I didn't play many fiddles. Um, so there was my three-quarter, then my Roth. And then the next one uh, was given to me. So the Roth was given to me, if you, if you think about it, because my dad bought it and let me use it. So here I am uh, at age probably 18, and I was given another fiddle by Bill Burnett, an elderly gentleman who ran a kilt-making business out of Ontario. And he was at the Highland Games in Anakinish, Nova Scotia, And he called our house. Of course, Mom put my phone number on my first cassette tape. (laughs) And so, uh, (laughs) so anyway, he called the house and said, my name's Bill Burnett. I heard you music on the radio. I have three fiddles that were willed to me, or maybe there was five of them, three or three or five fiddles that were willed to me from my best friend, Bill Crawford, who passed away. And his I want to give you one of his fiddles I think your music's great my kids don't play so dad took me up to the Anakinish Highland Games to meet him and we went home with the fiddle and the fiddle was great and I played it for probably 14 years probably 14 years I played that fiddle any idea of where it was made we should know that Janelle because Mary Frances is playing now what's on the inside it's a Mark LaBear or is that the one I have now? Yeah, it was Mark LeBear. Mark LeBear yeah. was the name of the player of the uh, maker, and it's it would be like eighty years old or something like that. But made in Canada, possibly. No, it's French. French, French violin. Huh. And then for the first time, now I have fifteen fiddles, and they've all been given to me. Wow. It wasn't until I was thirty. Or was I 40, Danelle? I, maybe late I was 30s. late 30s. It wasn't until I was in my late 30s when I bought my first instrument. Isn't that insane? I'd been playing for 30 years. But I love this idea. I'm, I am fascinated with traditions or rituals around gifting. Yeah. Because so much of the music, particularly coming out of folk music, is all about gifting. That's right, eh? How it comes to us from older people that have kept right. that tune alive and that it's gifted to you. Very seldom anyone pays for anything. It's that's a always good point. a gift. So it's lovely that all these instruments came to you. Yeah. So that's the fiddle I play now, the one that I bought, because I thought, my goodness, if I'm playing instruments that have always been given to me, I should maybe go look for one that I really am attached to, you know, to be a purposeful uh, relationship, you know, instead of 
And what? Tell me about that. What? What's the violin? Well, it was actually my mother that found it. She knew that we were kind of looking for a fiddle. I'd been looking for one. Well, really, I've been looking for one for years, but not very hard. I was just like, you know, if I ever had an opportunity to try fiddles, I'd try them to see if I liked something that might be better than what I have. Mind you, I loved my Bill Burnett fiddle, but or my Mark LeBaire fiddle. But then Mom said that she heard a story about this man in. Uh, Anakinish County or Picto County, I guess maybe, out Picto way, um, who had a collection of fine violins and bows, and his father had been a collector, and this man is was now maybe sick with cancer, and so she just took a, a mission on herself, and she said, I'm going to find this person, and she talked to someone who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone, and literally one day, my mother and father knocked on the door of a stranger's house, and they said, "Hi, we're, we're, uh, we're, we hear you have fiddles, and we were wondering if we could see them." And he looked at them as if they were crazy. And then my mom said, "We're Natalie McMaster's parents," and you know, I suppose mom, in her pride of being a mother, thought this man would would say, oh, wow, come on in. But he said, oh, I don't like fiddle music, <laughs> that hillbilly music. <laughs> oh, so no. he wasn't too impressed by that. Anyway, Mom and Daddy eventually uh, got to see the instruments, and then he invited, the, he, he, he okayed Danelle and I flying down to see the instruments, and I picked one out um, that Danelle and I both really loved, and it's my number one violin now, and it is made by... Uh, it's a viome, but it's not the famous viomes. It's a brother to the to the expensive viomes, we'll call them. J.B. Viome. And what do you like about it? I uh, just like the way it feels and sounds. Yep, it just had, had, just when I played it, I'm like, oh, this feels good. This is comfortable to me. And the sound sounds better than what I'd been playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very hard to find words for sound. You know, some people say they like a darker fiddle. You know, or they like something bright. Yeah. Uh, but that really, our vocabulary is not up to the task. That's on that right. One. Good point. Yeah. And also, uh, we're going to come back to the bow in a minute because, again, because we said in Scottish music, the bow is, is such an important part of what's happening in terms of the um, how the expression is being done. So, uh, what, what? well, right now, what bow are you using? We're, how, do, how important is your bow to you? Bow is very important. It's more important to Danelle. Of course, he'll share his stories about his own fiddles and bows. But for my bow, I have a... Oh, Martin? Martin. I have a Martin bow, M-A-R-T-I-N. Prior to that, I played the... Oh, Danelle, I Hill. Just, the Hill. Thank you. Ah. Good thing we're married. You can finish my sentences for me. Well, where, where's the Martin bow come from? Is that an old bow? Older maker? I, I don't know. We um, we have a good friend who's in the violin and piano business in Toronto, um, Michael and Rosa Remigny. They're fascinating, wonderful people. And anyway, they we got the bow from them. I'm thinking it's English, uh, and I don't. It's not. It's not a modern bow. It's not. It's not. The the maker would be wouldn't be deceased, around now. Yeah. He'd be deceased. But um, it's a good bow. It's a little heavier bow than than normal bows, than, than the typical uh, weight of a bow. It's a little heavier, and Natalie likes a heavier bow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like I gravitate towards that without knowing. I must have gotten used to it somewhere along the line, and now I kind of need that. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about that, that grittier sound, the dirt or whatever, you know, I mean, the, 
I've had people describe the bow as, as their breath. That's in the music. That's the breath. Is this bow, and it's about the same length. You know, some sometimes a person can draw a real long bow about the same length of what a breath would be. So, like a nice heavy breath. Huh? There you go. <laughs> I have no idea. We're we're just exploring these, yeah. trying to understand how do we talk about something that's so important in our lives yeah. has has changed the course of our lives in ways we never expected. That's right. Right. You know. I mean, a simple gift. Can just suddenly put you on this whole other exactly. It's, you know, it's like the old woman who comes and gives you the magic beans or something. You know? It's true. <laughs> That's a good point because really it led me to Danelle, and now we have seven children, and and we're passing it on to them. Danelle, because time you're doing a concert tonight, and I don't want to make sure I have your story yeah. as well. So my story, uh, of course, starts with my parents. My mom is from Cape Breton, as well as Natalie's parents. So. Her history, Natalie described uh, the the Cape Breton um, people coming from Scotland in, in the 1700s. My mom would be included in in, in that and would share the same. Oh. Um, so um, more for a Scottish background, more than an Irish background. I know mom that. is Scottish, Dad is Irish. Oh, there you go. So with mom, uh, a number of brothers and sisters, music, 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 music. They didn't have a piano, and they. They, uh, but they would, mom would get a cardboard and she'd put in crayon, she'd write in the piano keys, she'd copy the piano keys, and then she'd say that she would play the rhythms on this, on this board. And, and there'd be a, when there'd be a, a dance, mom would have her board and she, her, her piano, cardboard piano, and she would play the rhythms. Um, they didn't have a lot of money. Uh, grandpa was sick quite a bit and hospitalized, so grandma did her best. But they they wanted a piano. They felt it was so important to have a piano. So they bought a piano um, out of Toronto. It came on a train to Cape Breton. And someone went and picked the piano up in the wintertime with a sleigh, horse and sleigh, mm. and brought it back. And Mom said as soon as she they brought the piano in, she could play it because all she had to do was get her the fingering positioning right, but she had all the rhythms. And just fast forward a little bit, um, Natalie and I thought it'd be kind of cool to find that piano, and we were able to track down that piano from their ah. place. It went to one to one side of the family, and then they married, and and we tracked it down and phoned them up and explained the story and said we would love to buy the piano and we'd replace it. So they were a lovely family, and they said they understood, and they said, sure. So we bought them a new piano, and we, we, we exchanged it for, for this piano, brought it home, brought my mom in, said, Mom... I actually gave it to my sister as a, as a present. And when my mom came in, she could just see the look on her face. She, she just recognized it immediately. And then when we picked up, we picked through it, we found uh, a couple of little things that we don't know if they were grandpa's, but mom said grandpa had that or grandpa used to use that. Like little items that were little, buried in the piano? Yeah. Thing? Okay. Yeah. So That's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. But anyway, so that's my on my mom's side. My, my dad is of Irish descent, 1825 from County Cork in Ireland, and uh, came to Peterborough, Ontario, uh, in the Peter Robinson, the time of Peter Robinson. They, um, they were they were trying to bring farmers to Canada. Um, so my, my background in Ireland was farming. Uh, Dad, uh, so the 1825, his people came, Michael, Michael Leahy from Ireland. My dad is one of nine boys, grew up on a farm. Uh, Dad's the youngest. He there was music in their family all along. Dad played the fiddle. 
the brothers had a band. Uh, my uncle, Father Leo Leahy, played a, a banjo. Bob played piano. Olin played the fiddle. Anyway, they had a band. They played locally at dances and square dances and things. Um, Mum was in Cape Breton, and when she was 18 or 19 years old, her and her sister Anne decided to go to, the, to Ontario for a summer to Barry's Bay. They had an uncle in uh, Barry's Bay, Doug McIsaac. And, and so the night before they were to leave, Aunt Anne said, I'm not going. She was too shy to go. And mom said, I'm going. They had a ride up. She had a ride up. She went up to, to Barry's Bay. My father was a farmer. He was buying cattle in the area. This is, you know, this is a few months into into mom being in Barry's Bay. And what dad would do, he'd go and buy, a, a, he'd drive his car up. He'd try to find a, a load of cattle. If he could buy a load, he'd then hire a truck to bring it back to an hour and a half, two hours to where we live. Anyway, he asked someone, where's there a truck? Where can I get a truck? And they said, just go up to the end of that road. There's a, lots of trucks up there. Well, they, dad was referring to cattle truck. They were referring to logging truck. And when dad drove up the laneway, there were all these logging trucks and there was lots of cars and music, fiddle music. So we went to the door and rapped on the door and there was obviously a party happening. Rapped on the door, um, no one answered, they couldn't hear. So he walked in and here's this party happening and my mom playing the piano and some guy playing the fiddle. Of course, dad, nobody knew him, nobody noticed him. And when the guy set the fiddle down to take a break, dad ran over and grabbed the fiddle and said to mom, would you play with me? And she did. And they played and dad was hooked at that moment. And uh, anyway, um, they ended up marrying and having 11 children. I'm the, um, I'm the oldest boy. I have four older sisters. And um, when I was uh, three years old, they gave. Uh, they started all of us on, on, on fiddle and piano. And when I was three years old, um, they got me a little tiny fiddle, and I started to play. Um, as I, I remember um, when I was four or five or six in there, going to Toronto to buy me a half-size fiddle. So we brought the half-size fiddle home, which I played for a while. And there was only one full-size fiddle in the house, and it was Dad's. So as kids grew older, there was this big competition for fiddles. We had a little fiddle, <laughs> and then a half-size fiddle, and Dad's fiddle. And at one point, one of the fiddles broke. And I say this to Natalie sometimes. You know, we had to fight to get on an instrument. You know, we had one piano and 11 kids trying to play it, and you'd get on the, you wouldn't be able to get on the piano because Siobhan would be on it. And I'd say, Mom, Siobhan's on the piano. You can't have it until she's finished. Well, Siobhan wouldn't finish because she was just, you know. So as soon as an instrument became free, you'd jump on it and play. Whether you could play it or not, you played it. That was your only chance. So I started playing the full-size fiddle of my father's when I, it was way too big for me. And in order to play it, I had to bring my chin away around so I, not on the chin rest, I'd move it to the right and way around. And I actually was, it was the fiddles sticking out past my, my ear, you know, just so I could reach the, right. and to this day, I still play with my chin over on that side. And he's taught all his children to do he's that as well. Children. And your ears, like pretty close to the F holes almost at that point, right? I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. When, when I was a little lad, it was, it'd be up there. It was kind of funny if I saw the odd picture of me playing. Anyway, so I started playing Dad's fiddle. That became my fiddle. And it's awfully funny because I called it my fiddle one day, one time. This is many years later. And Dad said, I never gave you that fiddle. And and so it's, it's a, a fiddle in dispute. Dad bought, it, <laughs> Dad bought the fiddle from his brother. But his brother said Dad never paid for it. Uh-huh, there we go. Dad gave it to me. 
but I say dad gave it to me, but he said he never gave it to me. So I'm playing a, I don't know, a stolen fiddle. Stolen. And, anyway, that was a fiddle, uh, Andrea Fiorini, an Italian fiddle, a little smaller neck on it. Do you know the year? Yep, it was uh, 1900. Mm-hmm. But um, it was a good, it's a good fiddle. Mm-hmm. It's a good fiddle. And you played that for how many years? I played that. That was the only fiddle I, I played. That was the only fiddle I played. All the years, all my recordings, that was my fiddle. And it wasn't until how long ago, Natalie? Same as me. Like, within know, the six last years ago, six, seven, seven eight years, years, I purchased. Your first. I should say I should say I did have that three quarter fiddle along the way. So I had the half fiddle, then I went to the full size fiddle, and then mom and dad knew it was too big, so they went back to the three quarter fiddle, which was mine, but then very quickly I went back to the, the full size fiddle. Mm-hmm. Um, I purchased a fiddle, another Italian fiddle. I'm a sucker for Italian fiddles. It is called a Pistucci. Mm. And the the, the, the the Fiorini I used um uh, chrome core string on it, which right. is a brighter string. And I always wanted to, it was always a bright string and I have a bright sound and that fiddle sort of needed it. And then when I, I've been looking around for my fiddle and I found this Pistucci and I wouldn't say it is my fiddle, the, the, the end fiddle for me, but it was, it was, uh, it's a great violin. And, and, um, but I, I've put, it, it was, I've put a uh, Parazzi, Eva Parazzi strings on it. They're a little, it, the fiddle's a little darker. It's it's a beautiful fiddle. So, um, but so it is the, a little darker. Yeah, so, so the chrome chrome cores have the solid steel core. Yeah. And this is more of the synthetic core material. Yes. Which, you know, the classical people tend to play those all, and, and a lot of fiddlers tend to like, I do, I like that absolute quick response to the steel core strings that you just know where you are with it, where when I pick up those other ones, I could learn to play them, I think. But at first, when I begin to play them, there's, I'll hit the A or the D sometimes, and it's a note, and it, it's just uncertain. It's like there, but not quite there. Mm-hmm. It's really technique, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but uh, comparing the differences. So I, I was in the same boat. I played the, 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 the steel string forever, and I'd go to go to the other one, and it just didn't feel right. And then I'd have a show coming up or a recording, and I'd go back to my comfort zone. And one time I, I made a decision. I said, I'm going to stick with this and fight through the 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 you know the the uh fight through the uneasy times and this you know the same thing happened with me with a shoulder rest i never played with a shoulder rest and then i i found myself really tightening up and i'd put a shoulder rest on and i think oh this is great because i had so much freedom in my left hand and then after about three or four shows things wouldn't sound right it wouldn't feel right and i'd take the shoulder rest off and i'd go oh thank god i'm back you know, and, and then, and finally one time I, I did this so often, on, off, on, off. Finally I said, I'm leaving it on, and when I get uneasy, I'm leaving it on. And I did, and I, I it loosens me up better, and, and I play with it now. Um, well, I, I love this, the courtship story, of course, and the fact that you two are together and have all these children and perform your music together. So, And I would imagine you've told the story in numerous ways, but tell me the courtship story. How you met, and what, and what role did this magical box with strings on play in that? So I'll start it, and you yes. can fill in. So the first thing is, I have this distinct memory of my father. God bless him. We were going to do chores. I grew up on a beef farm, and I remember the day, and I remember the road. I remember the exact moment. We're driving along, and I was practicing a lot, and my dad knew that, and and he said to me, you know, Danelle, I know you're practicing a lot, and he, 
was a strong encourager of being of, of being practiced and practicing. And he was a hard worker, and he saw the you know he saw that I was musically inclined. Anyway, and he said to me, and I never can get the words out properly, but I'll get the the, the idea out. He said, "I know you're practicing." He said, "But if nothing else, all the practicing you're you're doing will be worth it when you meet the girl for a half hour. Like uh, all the practicing you've done in your life to this point or forever, if all you get is one half hour for that girl, the girl." to hear you, and he said, it'll all have been worth it, if that's all you get out of it. If you win her over. If if, if, <laughs> if you have that opportunity to meet the girl, who, whom, you know, and you didn't play another note, it was worth all the practicing. Ah. And so that was that always has stuck with me. And I was playing in Germany with my family. Uh, we played for six months at a theme park. And we're <laughs> in a German-speaking country playing three shows a day. Uh, and my sister Denise had a cassette tape of a fiddler from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia named Natalie McMaster. Now, I was, my mom being from Cape Breton, one would assume that I heard a lot of Cape Breton music. I heard mom on the piano playing the tunes, but I didn't really hear a lot of Cape Breton music. There were no CDs back in the day. We didn't travel to Cape Breton. No Cape Bretoners really came around, so you wouldn't hear the music. So a girl named Natalie McMaster, and it was really good music and really good playing. So we listened to this CD, this cassette tape, you know, while we were in Germany, and by the end of the German experience, it was getting pretty long over there, and I was pretty attracted to the music, and I knew the age of this girl, so I decided when I got home, I think it was the next day, I jumped in the car, and I drove 20 hours to Cape Breton to find the music, if nothing else, meet the girl, and if nothing else, just get away by myself. So, excuse me, I jumped in the car, drove to Cape Breton, went to the Doryman Tavern in... uh, Shetty in Shetty Camp, Cape Breton, because there was a fiddle, there was a fiddle player playing, and all the bunch of it was a great fiddle afternoon. And I, I said to a few of the guys, "I have a tape in the car. Could you listen? Tell me who it is." I so you just, didn't even know the I, name. I, I did. I was oh. just trying to get information. <laughs> and they said, "Oh, that's Natalie." So I said, "Natalie," and I see in in those parts, Nat- Nat- Natalie was like you know a one named you know the tiger, Natalie, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So I said, Natalie, so they, anyway, they gave me all the information I needed, and I found that Natalie was at Teacher's College in Truro, Nova Scotia, which was about two or three hours from from uh, where I was. So you can pick it up there, Natalie. So I get a call one day out of the blue uh, at my dorm. Hi, my name's Danelle Leahy. You probably don't know me, but I'm a fiddler from Ontario. And I said, I do know you. I have your cassette tape at home. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Now, backing up, about a year prior to that, I was given a cassette of Danelle. His first solo recording was given to be me by my cousin, distant cousin, who lived in Ontario, who knew Danelle and his family very well. And he was home for the summer. He stopped into our kitchen. And he, I remember him putting this cassette on the table saying, you got to hear this guy play. Well, I had heard of the Leahy family. In fact, I saw them play when I was 12 years old. Danelle's mother and all her children, and perhaps your father too. Yep. I don't know if he was yeah, there was or not. Yes, okay. yes. They all came down. I remember my mother saying, oh, we're going to see Julie McDanell's children. You know, I used to step dance with her when I was a kid. And we're going to go hear them. And there's 11 children, and they all play and sing. And I was fascinated. I was like, wow, I couldn't wait to go to this concert. I remember the concert very, very well. I remember being just 
awestruck, inspired, uh, fascinated to see all these siblings. And they all looked the same, and they all played such fancy music. And I remember one of them, the youngest, had a cast on his leg. I remember that. Angus had a cast. (laughs) Anyway, so that was when I was 12. So here I am. I'm 18. Uh, I knew, was familiar with his music because I had been listening to his cassette. I knew it was incredible music. I also remember my cousin saying, what a nice guy. He was talking about Danelle. He gave me the cassette. He said, what a fiddler and what a nice guy. So when Danelle phoned, I was familiar with, and I had, there was a picture of him on the front about the size of a, you know, an inch tall. So I could kind of tell what he looked like. And, um, but I remember being just, uh, goodness gracious, hearing his, his cassette tape that first time a year prior. Um, I couldn't believe what I was hearing because I had not heard anything like that before. It was so incredible to me and to my dad. And so he said, I'm Danelle Leahy. You probably don't know me. I'm a fiddler from Ontario. I said, I do know you. I have your cassette tape at home. (laughs) And he said, I'm in town tonight, and I was wondering if I could take you out to dinner. And uh, then he said, I don't know what you look like, so maybe you could bring along your violin. So, oh, that's great. Instead of wearing yeah. the carnation in the buttonhole, yeah. show up with a violin. I'll so so <laughs> I, I didn't know what she looked like. You know, nowadays you'd go online and you'd get a picture and, you know, you'd. I didn't know. And so we were meeting in the foyer of her college, you know, the common area where all the students were walking and back forth. So we, I guess now they said, I'll meet you in front of the whatever. So I was there and in walked the girl with the fiddle. And oh my goodness, what an absolutely beautiful fiddle! It was kind of a. a, a, a br- <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's yeah. funny every time. Yeah, no. I've heard that joke lots. But I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know she looked like anyway. So when Natalie came in with her fiddle, I knew who she was, and, and we went out for dinner. And uh, then I had my fiddle as well. So we went and played some tunes after uh, in one of the practice. Uh, I had a key to the music room at the college. So we went and played some, some, some tunes. And so we had a lovely time. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe I could get the second date. So I said, maybe we could go out again tomorrow night. And she said, I can't go out with you tomorrow night. I'm flying to Toronto, an hour and a half from where I live, to play at a Cape Breton dance in Toronto the next, you know, two nights later. I'm flying out tomorrow to play on Saturday in a dance. So I said, okay. I said, good night. And I jumped in the car and I drove the 20 hours back to Toronto. And, and went you met to, me at the dance. I met her at the dance in Toronto. And, uh, and we dated you, for two years. Were you surprised when you saw him at the dance? Well, or? I knew he was coming. You knew he yep. was coming. Yep. Okay. You know, I love this. The cassette tapes, we, we think back on those days. I remember when I was trying to learn fiddle in central West Virginia in the early 1970s, Craig came out with the first portable cassette tape recorder. And I was around all these old people that played in central West Virginia. And I love that really old sound coming from the mountains. And I drove all the way to Columbus, Ohio. And it wasn't 20 hours, but it was eight hours, I think, or nine hours just to buy the first one that I could get. And so I could be at this festival and push the button and get some of these old guys playing. Mm -hmm. And But what I'm trying to say about it is the the quality of the sound, especially what we're used to now. um, It's almost... It's music, but it's it's an idea. I mean, you are listening to an, an a musical idea, an intelligence, a music musical thought. 
that's what you were falling in love with. Not a, not the acoustic sound of this, what we have now with the lush, you know, and yeah. the reverb. And I, mean, you, and I love that. It's so simple, you know, but you knew what it was when yeah. you heard it. Yeah. Mm. That's brilliant. You know, um, especially in Natalie's world, um, they used to, her mother, Natalie's mother, Minnie, used to record all the house parties. Just push, you know, so they have tapes and tapes of tapes of these house parties. And there's so many tunes. And, you know, someone will play a medley of 15 tunes. And there's all these great pieces with no names. And and it's just, a, it's a wonderful um, going back into these tapes, finding a tune, then trying to find the name of it. And and there's the people, the, the go-to people. But 90% of my repertoire comes from those cassettes. Yeah. That's great. And, but you, you, you're right, you get more than just the... The tune or the acoustic, you get the the life and the spirit yeah. of the people and the party and the the vibe and the yeah, you know, yeah. and the claps and the laughs. It's just wonderful. Yeah, I love it. I interviewed a man named Mark Katz, Doctor Mark Katz, at the University of North Carolina, and I've mentioned this in several other interviews because uh, he he had done his work, I guess, his dissertation for his doctorate on the earliest recording of violin music. You know what technology what technology was used and who was recorded. And and some of the musicians he reco- that were recorded at that time on wax cylinders had known Brahms, had known Mendelssohn. I mean, it really, you know, these were people that carried this music from that tradition. And uh, But when they heard their music, um, almost universally, they were disappointed. It, it wasn't what they thought it would sound. They thought maybe they weren't quite in tune or their tempo wasn't what they thought it was. And these were lions of you know the concert world at that time these were the soloists everyone would go 50 miles out of their way to hear and so the whole conversation from that point on went about how this technology recording technology has fundamentally changed our very sense of what is music uh it's a a completely different idea and it's a product and how Mm -hmm. it's produced and so forth and you guys are got a foot in both worlds i can tell that from this conversation that you understand this older world of what music was and the, and the purposes it served and now you're touring and uh you know living in this world of the marketplace and and music and culture i don't know if you want to even try to take that one on i i love i'd love to be in those conversations because mm-hmm. this, this stuff fascinates me and i think about things like that and i think of of, of i'm i'm not particularly fond of recording um and it might be the sense that i'm disappointed as well i can't listen to my recordings you know uh one time I was in in Switzerland and I heard this great fiddle playing and I was at a restaurant and I was like wow and I, I was, wow and, I was, and, and I'm sorry to say but it was me and I was like oh my gosh I hadn't heard that in so long you know you get so I shouldn't maybe have said great fiddle playing but that's what I thought oh that's I got who is that who is that oh that's true <laughs> it was you, me you didn't know it was you and you heard it and yeah but my point is is that. I'm a live player. We live play. We, we, you know, if we weren't doing this on stage tonight, we'd be at a house party or at, at something playing. And so much of of the vibe of a night uh, is the mood you're in as a fiddle player, the spirit of the party, the weather outside. It's it's this collection of 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 things that come together to make that night special. And and as a player, I feed off of that. That night will never be. Replicate. Replicate it again. And the night that we're going to play tonight in Olympia, Washington, that's never going to happen again. It might be good or bad, you know. And I find that these um, these recordings are just kind of locked in stone. They're locked in stone and they haven't got that. And, you know, the mood you're in when you're listening to them, there's no sharing 
in a recording. The listener pushes play, and you, that's it. But music, no there's no, there's no one. Well, yeah, you're not feeding. There's no. You take what you, you know what I mean. You take what you get. Whereas if you're playing tonight, the audience is going to laugh. They're going to go. Oh, a baby's going to cry. You know. Um, there's going to be a, a full house or or a half house, and all this. You know, there's all these things that play into that special, and the music happens. I, I, this idea of time absolutely fascinates me. What is the nature of time? We have a kind of sterilized idea from the scientific or industrial world of time, right? Time is just this universal map that's laid over every second. Is every minute is a minute, and we run our trains and our airplanes on it, and what all the other stuff we do. Then there's this other experience of time. Where in folklore, you find this great uh, story lore. Uh, someone passes a fairy fort in Ireland and sort of gets drawn in and then plays the fiddle. There's a great story of the two fiddlers from Inverness. They go in, they play. They don't realize it's the fairy folk they're playing for, but they play one night, have great scotch and a wonderful time, and then come out and a hundred years have passed. So this idea of time expanding and contracting. And we as musicians, I think all human beings experience this, but musicians often feel that with time, this, this sense. You know, when you're really in that groove, suddenly time is just different. So what you're talking about, which I never really thought about in that light, is you have this moment of time in which you're playing, and then someone's going to listen to this in a different time. In a different mood, in a different everything, yes. But it's like they've shifted time in a, in a yes. very strange way, and they will hear it then. And I'm not sure it's as good or bad. It's just fundamentally different. Like, that's for sure. You look at you look at look at tempo or speed. We'll go out on stage some night and play a tune, and we'll say that felt slow to me tonight. We got to play that faster tomorrow night, and then the next night it could be the other way. We had this the other night. We said to the to the, to the guys in the band, you know, it was, it was too slow, and they said that's the same speed we played it. Well, it and, and sound check the next day. Okay, there's the speed. That's that's perfect. It was the same speed we played the night before, and you know, I when when we record now, you know, we pick what's what's the right speed, and so you're locked in at that speed. Right. If you're okay. using a click track, particularly. If we use a click track, even if we don't use a click track, oftentimes we'll set a tempo and just listen to it before we start. And start at that. But there's there's no room for, some nights it needs to be faster. Some nights it needs to be slower. You know, and, and, and as a player who plays with feeling and, 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 and soul and heart, you, you feel that. And you might really be sensing this in the audience, almost psychically. Maybe some of the magic why we like live music is such that someone brings us into a tempo, and our hearts must be responding. Hmm. Uh, see that that stuff that just fascinates me, mm-hmm. to- totally. That that <laughs> just you know. And as a young lad, I I grew up. My pa- parents played in a dance band, and they would play at uh, bars, hotels, weddings. And their role was to keep the party going, get people on the dance floor. And there's always this try to get try to get read an audience and 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 get them dancing. Mm-hmm. And often these things would happen. There'd be a dinner and a dance, and people were you know had just eaten and they didn't want to dance. So there was this there was this big attempt. And I, I knew it from when I little a little lad. Try to get the people dancing, and when you get them dancing, try and keep them dancing. And so you you know so so then I started applying for dances. 
with my family and with my parents. And I'd be playing, and maybe you'd play a waltz, and they'd jump up for the waltz. Well, then you got to try to keep them going. You're always reading the audience. And there's many times you'd play another tune, and they'd all sit down. It's like, oh, I blew that. So you'd, you'd learn your way of keeping them. So then we get into the, into the, the musical, um, our musical careers here, and we go around the country as little kids and, and, and now as, as adults. And there's an element, there's always an element of, of that. You're trying to, you know, play to the audience. And, and you know, you, you don't totally just play to the audience. We want to give our music and we want to present what we do as well. But there's this constant reading the audience and feeling out the audience and, and something they really like that. Well, maybe we'll come back with this next and maybe we'll do that. And, and so it's... It's this. That's what I mean. How the music changes, and and it. it, it you talk about the tempo and speed and the heartbeat, and the, all, all the audiences are different. I just like totally see that. And right now in America, which would be interesting because you're Canadians, there's there's heartbreak, and I didn't realize I'd use that word, but there's heartbreak in this country. Anybody's got half a brain. I'm just flat out. We have this insanity playing out day by day. You know, we call the father of the nation. Right, has always been that symbol. It, we have somebody out of their mind, a truly, with no limits to what they'll say or what they'll do or what they'll, what's truth, what's not truth. And I think Americans are just, we're in a state I've never known. I'm 69 years old, never saw a time like this. And I'd, be, I'd just be curious, you know, if you have any thought on that, because you come down, you bring this this moment of in, you bring this moment of enchantment. You bring this this magic made by this box with a few strings, and uh, you tour. Um, anything you want to say about that? I, we have a wonderful opportunity to be a neighbor of America, and 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 another opportunity to be. We get to go across your country in one month, and you know people go for a vacation here. They go visit their friends here. We get to go from in Washington, California, right across the country. We end in Boston and then Florida. And what a wonderful country and what wonderful people. And the audiences are different, little subtleties all along. And, and we, we, we hear the, the, the strife and the, and, the, and the troubles. We have our own in Canada and the world is, you know, and I think Natalie said it best one time, we should all be fiddle players. Wouldn't you say, all the All the world leaders should <laughs> play the, the fiddle. Play the fiddlers and then we'd be fine. But it is a hard time. And, you know, we have seven little children that we're bringing up in this world and we're doing our best and... We uh, we believe in love and we believe in, in community and, and we believe in music and we're doing our best to navigate this little world and, and uh, we pray and hope. But um, we're very happy to be your neighbors and we love the opportunity to come down here and, and your audiences are so great. I'm telling you, there's an energy and spirit and so... I think when people, I, I find when people, I know myself, when, when you immerse yourself in music, and you said it, live music, um, everything goes away for a couple hours. And, you know, you're rejuvenated. And I, I think it's so important. And I, I really hope that live music thrives because, you know, uh, it, sometimes up our way, it's harder to find it, you know, with the satellite televisions and the big sporting events and surround sound. I might, I might add one comment to that, that I'm not getting too deep here, but you mentioned, you said, I believe in love. And I think music is connected to love. And I think that over the years, 
um, the meaning of love has become distorted. So when you say, I believe in love, I believe in love too. I believe in how you mean it. I mean it. And it's a meaning that goes beyond self. And I think too often our world, either through politics or um, or just human humanity, um, people can get just, um, I guess, selfish, you know, just thinking of things that that don't go much beyond you they but we but to believe in love is are people i think who believe in you do have to sometimes you know um deny ourselves for the greater good whatever that means for different people and music when we do our shows and we play music i think there's um un un our subconscious barrier that gets kind of taken away and and people receive they receive something in the music that is inspirational and makes a person want to uh really be loved and and feel love and give love the way that it was always intended which is the deeper meaning and i know that maybe sounds really crazy but there's just always such this really good feeling after we've played a show and the letters and comments we get from people. There's just some sort of an openness. Um, and I think it, it's the sweeter side of humanity that it that it connects with. So I know that's a real weird under, uh, thing. I don't even know if I understand myself what I said. <laughs> anyway. I remember um, a few years back, we were invited... Um, I was invited to, to play. Uh, our government was hosting, Canadian government was hosting uh, a, the American a delegation, George W. Bush, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, that, that whole bunch. And it was crazy, the security and just crazy stuff. It was wild. It was fascinating. Anyway, so we played and I, I had this moment, I'm on stage and they're all listening. All these, you know, I and the whole Canadian government, you know, all these people are sitting there and they're listening to a fiddle and they were tapping their foot and they were all, there was this moment of, I had the microphone in a sense. Right. Remember, I had the microphone. You're the, you're the world leader. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, I, I don't know, there was just a sense of, yeah. you know. The power you would have had at that I, I don't mean it. I don't mean me. I don't mean, I wasn't pointing it at me. I'm just saying we were all united for a moment in, in music and in listening and in appreciating and and not talking, you know? And listening to you, you know, the thought that just came into my mind is I, I think you're drawing from a well. You know, you're drawing from a place that has water, it, but it's the water of, you said, love. You know, mm-hmm. this this thing that we can't even describe what it is, but you know it when it's there. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh-huh. There you go. Yeah. yeah. You know when it's there. <laughs> I often heard somebody, or I heard somebody say once, you'll never... Uh, You'll never, rem- you won't necessarily remember what somebody said, but you know, you'll remember how they made you feel. And I love that. Huh. I don't know. Just remind me of that. You, you can take that at the interview if you want, but <laughs> just an afterthought. Well, no, that's great. It's been a re- genuine pleasure. Thank you so much for taking great. the time and a busy schedule and everything. So thanks. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Let's listen now to Natalie and Donnell 
performed together from their music CD titled One. The piece is the lovely Scottish slow air, Hector the Hero. Thank you for listening to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Rosin the Bow is produced by Joe and Paula McHugh in the studios of the Raven Radio Theater in partnership with radio station WTJU-FM and the University of Virginia. Our theme music was arranged and performed by the string quartet, The Fretless. For more information about this podcast and to listen to additional podcasts, please visit our website rosinthebow.org. I would like to thank the staff of the Washington Center for helping arrange this interview. It is a great venue for the arts in our town, and we're lucky to have it. ¶¶